Irish Beats with Rob O'Connor. This is Beat. This is Irish Beats with Rob O'Connor, and on the line with me now is Niall Brezzy Breslin, uh, talking about the brand new Blizzards album. Uh, they're not superstitious at all, and they have released it on Friday the 13th. Sometimes we see more in the dark. Uh, it contains the single Friction Burn, which you might have seen them perform on the Late Late Show uh, the week before last, I think it was. Brezzy, how are you, sir? I am flying. How are you? I'm not too bad now, not too bad at all. It's a beautiful day here, so uh, the sunshine does a lot for my mood. Um, about the album, right, and I, I'm going to open with what I think is a compliment, and I hope you take it as a compliment. There is a rawness to the record that I don't think I've heard from the Blizzards since maybe going way, 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 way back. Uh, it doesn't sound produced. It sounds like a band playing in a room. Maybe you have the amps turned up to 11 at certain times. How do you feel about it, that statement? That is exactly the the mindset we took to the records. We The first thing we said is that this needs to sound like we've just plugged in and played. I think from somebody who's produced music for so long and, you know, my mate, you know, I own a recording studio and I see it so much. I also see the kind of development towards overproduction where people produce things to literally an inch of their life and I don't know I, I kind of have a hard t- t- talk with myself and with the band and I said like that's not us it's not the music we love it's not the music that got us into music in the first place you know so the idea was to go back to that rawness that got us into being in a garage band and when we were in the like growing up in the 90s that's that's what it was it was you go in with crap amps you know a half bet down PA system with one mic and a drum kit that is falling apart and that's how you start and that's where we want to go back. So the production is absolutely aimed at that rawness and we, we had a kind of a rule with the album that we can't have more than three guitar lines in any track. Like usually when you're tracking something you could have, Jesus, you could have up to 15 different tracks of guitars. We were like, if we can't make it work with just me and Justin and Louise then we the parts aren't good enough, essentially, is what we were trying to say, and we need to write better parts. So that was the kind of philosophy we took into the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see where you're coming from with that. It must be, by, by putting limitations on yourself like that, it must actually be quite freeing. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but you know what I mean? Also what it does, without kind of getting overly into the production on it, it, it frees up space for the vocals. And the day when I was learning my trade with you know the likes of Michael Beinhorn and stuff. He says anything that takes from the melody, anything that takes your attention away from what matters in the song, it doesn't need to be there. It just literally doesn't need to be there. So by being really kind of re- not restrictive, but really kind of cho- choosing the parts that worked, we left loads of space for loads of the vocals and back and vocals and BBs, which is kind of a thing, a kind of a trademark of our sound. So that that's what. Also, when it came to mixing it, you can make the drums sound nice and beefy because you didn't have all these different instruments fighting for space, which is what happens when you overproduce tracks. You just, you know, everybody's looking for their little bit of space in the frequency spectrum and it just sounds squeezed. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, we, we've done that. We, we've done that in the past where we kind of and it didn't feel particularly right. And what made us really realize this was working is the live setting. When we transferred the songs live, they work really well because we can perform them live. We don't need, you know, we don't need loads of backing tracks to do it. It, it, it works really well as just a raw guitar track. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I can I ask you then? We're we're I know right. So the album came out today, as we record this today on on Friday, and I've I listened to it this morning. So I got the first full listen to the album this morning. And I heard the singles all right beforehand, uh, and and there was a couple of the songs struck me as if they might have been done in one take. And again, I mean that in as a compliment. I don't mean that as a, you just kind of farted something out and off you went. And I'm thinking about a song like Currency of My Soul. That sounds like it was just, right, we'll put the people into the room, get the lads together and we'll just open up the mics and off we go. That was done in my house. Was that it? Was done in my, my house, me and Louise. Kind of sat down and I said, I have this song that I wrote for my sister's wedding and... You know, my sister's wedding was, I mean, it was just, it was a really special occasion, of course, but like, I sat her down and I said, I want to play this for Andrea at the wedding. And she goes, I I want you to put that on the album. And right. I said, well, I, you know, we don't have time to be recorded all the songs, so we don't have any time. And she goes, let's just do it here. Let's just track it here. And yeah. I plugged in my guitar amp. I put a tiny little mic here in um, a little, like this little small podcast room in my house and we recorded it. And me and Louise... Justin actually sang on it after, but me and Louise sang that live uh, on on a, on a mic in the house. So it was, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And then something grips you, something holds you was a live take as well. Yeah, with just me and the, like, um, yeah. And I mean, it's it's, you know, I think the other thing, and I don't mean this in a, in any way, big headed way, but we can all play our instruments. You know mm. what I mean? We all we've all been doing this a long time, and I think it's really important that if you can do that, you should try. It's a different kettle of fish. It saves a hell of a lot of time in studio, I can tell you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, few lives. I think also, Pritchard Burns was uh, very much live, uh, and that that's that was our first kind of single from the record that we said, "Right, these parts, it's two guitar lines, lads." And I remember, lads, we should be putting this in a note, note, two parts. Mm. Like, keep your focus on 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 the hook and and the lyric. So that was it. Yeah, it was very much. And the thing about it is, you don't massively in today's music industry. You, you, you know, you, there's bands that do it really, really well. Um, but ultimately, that type of music isn't filling Spotify playlists. Really, you know, it, it is. It, it is very much you being honoured, honouring yourself. But then there's there's obviously a movement towards in Ireland, especially it's one of the biggest bands in the world now, Fontaine's DC, and they're just going to get bigger. You know, they they made a big statement with their all their records, the three records. But like when you look at that, they still get very little radio play in Ireland. Mm. But they're one of the biggest world. So it doesn't translate the way it used to uh, radio used to be the be all and end all, but there's other options now. And I think that's a really important movement because you spend so much time worrying about that and you've got very little control over it. Mm. It's an interesting mix, isn't it? It must be very difficult for uh, how do I say this now without sounding arrogant? It must be very difficult for musicians to back the right horses. Do you know what I mean? Because you could put all your effort into a certain thing and you might get nowhere with it. So you, you could put your into radio play or worrying about getting on the right playlists. And then maybe yeah, if, it, yeah. if it doesn't happen, it must be difficult, yeah. you know. Earn haven't been in the industry for quite a while that when you start chasing things, two things happen. You know, maybe you will you will catch what you've been chasing or maybe it won't. But mm. if you sacrifice what you're trying to be to do it, it's, it's a double whammy. It feels doubly difficult. So we were like, well, the way we want to look at it is 
we don't want to do that and we want to we want to write an album that goes back to where we came from and honors where we came from and after that everything else is out of our control literally yeah. every single other thing is out of your control but that you know the thing about it is the one thing the way I look at it as well for bands I think you know when you break Spotify down and radio I, I still think radio is the more important one really I think you know because it almost gets into people's psyches when it's played you know high rotations and radios it almost gets into people's subconscious almost and I think Spotify is a little bit more passive. You know, mm. people might have background or it might be on a playlist that people just put on but don't really engage with. So, yeah, I, I, I it's an interesting one. And then there's other things. I spoke in South by Southwest this year and one of the things I said is that, you know, musicians are now expected to be content creators as well on top of everything else. Yeah. And we're not content creators. You know, we are not that. And it mm. becomes quite overwhelming to constantly have to worry about will this work on social media? And social media is a great marketing tool, but it can consume you if you mm. don't keep spending it, you know? Yeah, I know some people who like spend their lives on social media and in some way, I, I, again, I don't want to sound arrogant, but in some ways I kind of I kind of pity them because I think, Jesus, that must be an awful burden, you know, because you can't maintain that for too long. You know, you can do it for a while, uh, but it can't be, like, uh, I mean, you have the album coming out now, I'm sure you're all over the place, you're, do, you're doing all your bits, but that's a very set period of time. You couldn't do that 24-7, 365 days a year. No, it, it's a real opportunity as well. Like I look at social media and I go, right, this actually, really, you know, it can help. It can help in a way that right, you're getting exposed. But you're up against a million other things coming out. There's so much information out there, and you know, it, it, it can be difficult. But record labels very quickly will tell you first, first off the cuff, if you can, if you can own or you can break into TikTok, you're you're on a winner. But there's something about that that's interesting. You know, there is artists that are absolutely massive on TikTok couldn't put people into Wheelands for a show. Mm. So there's not happening or, or breaking down that I don't think anyone's fully worked out yet. And the other thing that I need to be careful with TikTok is it's kind of teaching people to write 15 second songs. The real yeah. artist songwriting structure the music and, and actually to, to, to make it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I think TikTok is a brilliant marketing tool. I actually enjoy it a lot as well. I'm not going to like the idea to sit here and tell you oh god it's this but it's actually a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> when you get on to but i do think as a musician you have to keep a bloody close eye that you don't get run over by it and it doesn't become the main vehicle for everything you do because then what happens is you, you get it you get a bite things kick off and then you you're thrown on the stage and you realize oh my god i haven't been on stage before i have no stagecraft i don't i'm really nervous mm. all this development and i think the, the artists i love the most especially irish artists are artists who are given space to develop. A prime example is Hosier. Mm. Hosier came out now with take, take Me to Church and, you know, was on TikTok. Like, Hosier, when he put out TikTok, um, Take Me to Church, we all knew this was something very, very special. Every every I, I had heard Hosier three years before that. He was actually in the studio with me in London. I was like, oh, my God, this is a different level. This is global. This is unstoppable. But he's not ready yet because he yeah. didn't know what it sounds he, he was he was a nervous kind of young lad. He needed to get a stagecraft, and now he's just a superstar because he was given space to develop, and he was managed well by Caroline Downey. So, all this stuff is so important in music development, stagecraft. You know, so we we shouldn't bite. You can't bypass that stuff. You can't learn that stuff 
on social media. You can only experience it. So that would be my advice to anyone who's in music. Get a good manager that protects you and develops you and sees it all and, and, and kind of keeps you safe, really, more than anything. <laughs> uh, it, easier said than done but you, you're, you're 100% correct uh, another thing anyone who wants to get ahead in music is they need a good bass player and I'd like to ask you I'd like to talk to you briefly about the addition of <coughs> excuse me I'd like to talk to you briefly about the addition of Louise Carroll to the group now if I'm correct and I could be, and I, if I am wrong about this please do pick me up on it uh, sometimes we see more in the dark is the first Blizzards album that Louise will have worked on from start to finish is that correct? Hundred percent, yeah. Right. I, I, when as I listen to the album here now or, or this morning, I, I got so I got that sense of it being a band in a room playing. It's also arguably the heaviest album by the Blizzards I've heard in quite some time. What kind of energy has Louise brought to the band? Um, I think Louise is. It's very very interesting. Like Louise's background is a psychologist. You know that's her job. Mm. She works with people day in, day out. She's a, lot, a huge level of depth to her. And I'll give you an example of the type of person she is. I think this is probably the best way to describe it. When we needed a new bass player, you know, the, you know, people, things happen and the band needs to move on and that's mm. happened loads of times. We needed a new bass player. And Louise had done a bit of singing for us. She wasn't a bass player. She had done singing for us in studios. She's a session singer. And I said to her, do you know any bass players, you know? And she goes, no, not really. And then she disappeared. And five weeks later, she came back and she goes, I know all your songs. Go away. And that's how she initiated herself into the band. And we were like, are you serious? She goes, yeah, I, I, she, she knows. She played the bass a little bit, our guitar, when she was younger. Mm. But she sat and learned everybody's song. And I remember looking at the band going, that is the energy we need. That is just incredible. And that energy came into this album where obviously I live with Louise, she's my partner, and it, it, when you have a partner in a band, it, it 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 can be it can be testing and it can be amazing, but it's a really honest relationship because she can tell you what she thinks of everything, and she pushed me lyrically massively on the album, and there's a couple of songs in the album that I didn't want to put on lyrically because I just thought they might be a little bit too away from what we are, and she was like, "No, you got to back this." So mm. she. she and it keeps me safe a little bit creatively. And and I think because of both of our backgrounds and the work that we do, we're not afraid to take on certain subjects and songs that maybe other artists might shy away from. Even the title, sometimes we see more in the dark. It's the very example of of what that means. It's That's where you learn more about yourself as a person. You know, we've seen it with people we work with, people who've hit walls are on the floor, and you, you, you see them come back from that. And when they come back from that, they're they're so strong. They're so they've learned something about themselves, and that's what the entire album was based around. Well, when I asked you that question, I did not know that yourself and Louise were an item, right? So I wasn't trying to get you to to, to speak about your your private life. So just just to be aware of that what strikes me from the very opening track with the the wartime general, it's almost like a Kim Deal esque baseline coming in. And I mean that as an absolute compliment because the Pixies are one of my favourite bands of all time. And that's very interesting that she picked it up that quickly. With the bass lines on the album, you know, I kind of left them to her, mm. which is it's not what I usually do, especially when I'm producing. I produce this way in Cunningham like as a metal producer. And I'm usually quite, and I won't say I'm control freak, but I'm very kind of driven around the instrumentation of, of an album. And 
I knew the work she was putting into it. So I was like, I don't need to, to micromanage this album at all. These guys know. And then herself and Dex got into a room together. And I said, this album's a rhythm section album. You've got mm. to get really driven, wet, distorted bass sounds, um, which is in Wartime General. And Wartime General was kind of a song about standing up for yourself, not in a kind of conventional way. But we, we live in a world where it's so easy for people to rob your integrity and to say things about you without any substance or understanding or nuance. And the line in it is like, um, in the song, I found peace, now the battle has ceased. Um, but but for you, I'm a wartime general. And it's that person who thinks they can do that to you. I'm like, no, you don't get to do that just because, you know, you feel like throwing someone under a bus. And that was quite a personal one because, like, if you go online, for example, and everybody, anybody, is liable to just be just destroyed for no particular reason or a reason where the person doesn't really understand the situation. And it's about being assertive. Mm-hmm. And excuse my French here, you can bleep this out as a mindfulness therapist and practitioner. I often say to people, sometimes the most mindful thing you can do is tell someone to fuck off. <laughs> and yeah. that's true. Sometimes you have to stand up for yourself in a world that tries to trample on you. And that's what that song's about. Yeah. So, right. So you're a man who wears many hats, okay? So like musician, uh, podcaster, uh, mental health advocate, author. In your head, do you cons- do you still consider yourself a musician first? A hundred percent, yeah. Okay, hundred percent. You know, I always say this as a you know someone who also played professional sport. I always say to people, um, sport is what I did, uh, music is what I am. My mum's a music teacher. I grew up around music. My brother's a music producer. It has been every part of my body in every in every shape and form. And actually, when we look at the kind of work I do in, in mindfulness, mm. my real interest is, is music therapy is how you bring mindfulness and music together to use that as the as the core to teach people how to become more present. Because music just by default pr- brings us into the present moment, and I think we can use music in a far deeper way than we're currently using it. And I think the real interest I have in music is also, I think we've become very passive with how we listen to music because it's so accessible to us. Mm-hmm. You know, when the 80s, 90s and noughties had that moment where you, you got so submerged in a record that you buy, that you literally deconstruct every detail of it within an hour of buying it because you, you're, it's like you're studying for your leaving or listening to an album. It was a very mindful experience. Whereas I think now, because it's just, you know, on the streaming platforms are great and all, but like they, I think they start to teach us to become far more passive with how we consume music. And if we can, if we can change that, and we can teach people to actually think about the person behind the microphone when they're singing, think about the performances, the nuances in the song. So I would often use, you know, older songs or older bands like Brian Wilson or the Beach Boys. And if you listen to those recordings, you can hear all these little tiny little things if you keep your your ear out for them. And that's mindful music. And that's kind of combining my two loves, which is, is genuinely, I genuinely care about where we're going as, as people. I mm. think we're at a big junction in, in the world after what we've gone through. And we need to look out for each other far more than we are. So on the subject of music and mindfulness, where do you stand on physical media? And I'll couch this with a little bit of work that I did last year, I did a, a documentary about vinyl, about the resurgence of vinyl, uh, because I kind of got into it myself over the last couple of years. And as we were talking to people, and as I 
now this was in conjunction with my work in WIT. Uh, and as we were talking to people, one of the things that kept coming up again was you mentioned mindfulness, but people making a more deliberate choice about the music that they put on and the music that they bought. So, for example, somebody might do a throwaway listen to something on Spotify, Apple Music, insert streaming service here. But if you're going to buy a record, if you're going to spend 20, 30 quid on a record, you're 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 going to listen to it more than once. Do you know what I mean? You're going yeah, to get to know it, you know. Yeah, so go ahead. How you listen to music, I think, is what I'm trying to bring to mm. the table. But so one of the things I do a lot is I you know, I work a lot with people. I've been doing that for years, you know, as a mindfulness practitioner. We, you find a lot of people who find it difficult to access things like the breath and you know, they might be immensely anxious and, and focusing on the breath is quite difficult for them. But then in that case, I would bring them in and i say, I'm going to do something with you now. And generally, they're music bands. Most people are. Mm. And I would get them to tell me maybe their favorite few songs. And what I would do is I would get the isolated vocal from whatever song that might be. The first one I did was a beautiful um, uh, Somebody to Love by Queen, a girl that I worked with, just loved that song. And I got the isolated vocal and I sat her down and said, you listen to this as a big, production and you know incredible piece of music but listen to vulnerability of this with just him behind the mic and you could hear him taking the breaths you could hear him you could do all that stuff all the nuances in the vocal all the vulnerability in the vocal mm. and I said tune into that listen to that that is a that is a man who who is a genius but also he's just a human being with a gift and that's all you're listening to and she started getting emotional because she was like I've never listened to music like this and that starts to get them into a place of like when they hear that song again, they don't just hear it as a body of work. They hear it as a as a far more human piece. And I do that across the board with all different. I did it, another friend of mine is a huge Soundgarden fan. And, you mm. know, we we grew up in Soundgarden, you know, the producer of Super Unknown did our first two albums. And I got like songs from that and I got the isolated vocals and I brought them through it. And I said, you, you look at Chris Cornell as the greatest rock singer, one of the greatest rock singers of all time, but listen to this. And he just fell into the steep trance listening to it. And that to me is how you help people with music who might find it difficult to access things like meditation. I think that could be massively useful to people with Alzheimer's as well. I think for people with sensory issues, I think for people you know, with autism, music therapy is a gift that is only going to become more important because... It is a universal language. And as John O'Donnell has said, music is what language would love to be. And I think that is how powerful it could be. Yeah. There's a huge amount of work done in this area. I've read some, there's a great book came out a few years ago. You've probably read it. Uh, this is Your Brain on Music by uh, Daniel yeah. Levitin. But I mean, the stuff, like he's talking about from a kind of a neuroscience perspective. But I mean, so if you're a bit sceptical about it, he can show you kind of facts and figures and kind of quantify it to a certain extent so that there, this isn't just eerie fairy stuff. There's actually some serious hard science to this as well as the, the, the intangible mental health benefits as well. I remember the one he did about Alzheimer's. Oh, like and, the, science is, mm. the science is growing more, more, like the science is quite prevalent now around the neuroscience mm. elements of it. But the area I've, Actually, I did a part of my thesis when I was in my master's around what happens in the brain and music. It is an area that I've always had huge interest in, the brokers and the baronesses area of the brain, and how we, how we, how it's used when we play music, but also how we, what happens when we consume music. And actually, when you do the homework on it, 
the very same parts of the brain that you engage in mindfulness-based interventions, the prefrontal cortex, is the exact same area of the brain that you engage when you listen to music. Yeah. What it does is it gets you out of, without getting, <laughs> this isn't a science show, but I think people <laughs> listen to without music yeah. love this stuff. Our limbic system is the kind of fight or flight. It is that that kind of, it feels like we're in there all the time now. That flight anxiety is a great part of the brain, but only to keep you, you know, it's a security guard. And the, the prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain where we kind of rationally think, problem solve. That's where you go when you're in the shower and you figure out something. Oh, that's what I should do. You're in that part of the brain and you're, you're and I think music brings us there. And that's what happens at mindfulness. So, so a lot of the research is showing around that. The, the, the very areas of the brain that benefit from consistent mindfulness practice are the very same areas of the brain that benefit from consistent of listening to music. So we got to tap into this because mm-hmm. it makes us accessible. You know, and it is it is such like David Byrne's book on music. I like, even look at some of the stuff Oliver Sacks musicology. Mm. This has this been around a long time, and one of the moments that it was really prevalent to me, and I've, I've read about it, I've seen YouTube things and all. But we played, uh, we did the world tour in Mullingar two Christmases ago in the lockdown, and we we basically went to all the nursing homes and played gigs outside for the the um, the people that were there. Uh, and it was a lovely thing to do. We we went up to the hospital. We had a load of bands, and we just some people were like, "Please go." But <laughs> we were having a bit of fun. But there was yeah. there was a woman that uh, the nurse told me like she she doesn't recognise her sister, her her husband, and she just she sits there and we played um, uh, this beautiful that song from Alice in Wonderland. Oh no, we played yeah. Um, what was it called? I can't remember. Oh, it was um, When You Wish Upon a Star and we played it and you want to see her face and she sang every bloody word out the window as we sang it, sitting in her chair and the nurse said that's the first time she's even reacted to anything. And we were both literally standing. You know, it was a very emotional thing to watch Christmas Day, but it was also very powerful. So there's something in this and I think we've only in the scratch the surface. There absolutely is, yeah. I saw a great documentary about that a couple of years ago. Um, and like people who are in almost kind of semi-vegetative vegetative states and they can come alive to music. Uh, it's It really is. It's There's a power there that we haven't yet harnessed. With yeah. the... Um, al- sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just... Yeah, it is. And it, it is being harnessed and there's brilliant. There's a master's in music therapy in, in UL, mm. actually. And Lindsay, who was the keyboard player in the Blizzards, who, who left the band to pursue this actually this was his passion right. he works with he works with um, people in, in with Alzheimer's and cognitive issues you know and it, it's it's changed his life he's seen the power of it and you know so it is an area that's very close to the, to the band as a whole we, we've we, you know whatever your music takes I don't care music is subjective whether it's mm-hmm. ABBA or it's Hannibal Corpse I don't care you know we all have the ability to to transcend into that present moment by listening to music. Fair play to you for getting ABBA and Cannibal Corpse into the same sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well then, to kind of close it up then, is perhaps sometimes we see more in the dark a culmination of the many hats that you wear? And I'm going to give you an example. Be- uh, the song, uh, Something Grips You, Something Holds You. I was listening to that um, earlier this morning and I was really enjoying it. I kind of got into it. And then it's almost, I know I think it's this song, I think I'm correcting this. It's almost like this kind of bog poet, philosopher, 
from Connemara wanders in at the end with some words of beauty. Uh, and I, I, there's definitely some spoken word on yeah. another track as well, at least one other track. Yeah. Is this you well, mixing my, podcasting, uh, your, yeah. your, 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 your mindfulness and your music all together? Well, I'll tell you quickly how something grips you, something holds you came up. I went up to interview Michael Harding in Donegal. He's one of my heroes. He's a poet, philosopher. He's an incredible man, writer. I loved him for years and I went up to speak to him, drove up six hours up, five and a half, six hours up to him, spoke to him for three hours, recorded it, drove back, listened to it. And that's where something grips you, something holds you. And what it came from is about the day Kurt Cobain died uh, in my school, the 8th of April, 1994, when he was found. Yeah. And I remember asking the teacher, who knew we were, the band, the, school, the class were obsessed with Nirvana. And the Christian brother slapped, punched my desk and called him a coward and screamed in my face. And I always remember to this day how I felt when he did that. Not knowing, never heard, really hearing the word suicide before. His, him, him fully aware that we were, we were really confused and in a way scared. Mm. and that's what was said to me that song is about what should have been said to me and to the class that day and that's what Michael Harding said and that conversation in the podcast came and said this is what should have been said to me and this is the way we should be treating young people and having conversations with them and as Michael said at the very end sometimes when you feel life is letting go of you something grips you, something holds you something keeps you there and that to me is hope and that's the one thing you got to always keep a, keep a close hook on is hope, whatever that is. Yeah. So that song was, yeah. And it is, it is, you know, it was funny. We got a review today and they were like, oh, I loved it. Loved the album. But that song felt a little bit, I said, it's almost like they don't want us to be sincere. We have to always just be the balls out rock. And every band has a right to write songs like that. Mm. Every single band has a right to do that. And having Michael on it was just a gift for me personally because as I said he's inspired my work for years well I, I'll say it right Friction Burns is a banger uh, Play God is, is is that's the most well what I think is the most produced song it's it's on the album it's a banger but from what I heard this morning Something Grips You Something Holds You is my favourite track in the album and I think it was just that voice came in out of nowhere I didn't expect it and it really all came together wasn't aware of the Kurt Cobain thing on top of that but now the next time I listen to that it's going to mean even more uh, I, I, I'm not wearing a hat but if I was wearing one I'd take it off to you um, Brezzy the albums uh, from the new album from the Blizzards Sometimes We See More in the Dark it is out now uh, you're doing an album launch party tomorrow night as we record this it'll be in the past when this is broadcast on the radio you do have some more gigs coming up you're playing at some festivals over the summer but if anyone wants to find out more about what's happening with the blizzards what's happening with you guys what's the best place for them to go come on our socials and watch us talk absolute nonsense because we <laughs> tend to do that on our socials because no one else listens to us so yeah come on our social media page have the crack we we uh yeah it's always it's always a pleasure to interact with people who listen to the music Deadly, deadly. And you might even do an old 15 second TikTok dance. Would that be a possibility? Nobody on earth has the insurance policy to let me dance. So I cannot get insurance, health insurance. I, I, I can't do it. You don't want to see that. Nobody needs to see that. Fair, but God bless your honesty. Brezzy, thanks very much. Best of luck with the album. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bro. Thanks for everything. Two hours of homegrown music. Irish Beats. On Beat.